2: Sex, jealousy, anger, trust. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Power dynamics. Any of this sound familiar? Well, these are the same issues that you may experience in your own relationships. It's reality. Sometimes it can get to a breaking point, and if you're open to it, you could get a little help from a professional. Time for couples therapy. I'm Sukanya Krishnan, call me Suki, and this is 90 Day The Last Resort Sessions. Five of your favorite 90 Day Fiance couples have reached their own breaking points. Angela's back, or is she with Michael? Whatever happened to Kalani and Oswello? Well, we're going to analyze all of it, promise. They bit the bullet and are off to the Florida Keys to get some couples therapy in a final attempt to unravel their crazy dramas and salvage their relationships. It's their last resort. For this premiere episode, we'll be joined by all the therapists from 90 Day, The Last Resort Show. Dr. Janie Lacey, Dr. Jason Pentergrast, and Peter Silvera. Let's face it, it's our newest 90-day obsession. So let's get right after it. All right, Dr. Janie, Dr. Jason Petey, I'm so excited to really be in therapy with you guys because I think there's so much that we can all learn together as a group. And sometimes, you know, when they say life imitates art, I feel like we really kind of see what's happening in other people's relationship, maybe projecting into our own lives and maybe having us pause and reflect as to what we can do better in our everyday lives. We have a lot of obsessions when it comes to 90 Day. We've got Kalani and Asuela. We want to know how they're doing, Jovi and Yara. We've got Molly and Kelly. And we've got Angela and Michael. But before we get into the complete season and what's on the show, here's a little preview from fan favorite couple, Ed and Liz, you may remember them from season seven of 90 Day Fiancé, Happily Ever After. Big Ed. Apparently he is still misbehaving. And while Liz seems to always forgive him, she is starting to get a little bit weary. Let's listen to what she has to say and then we'll all react to it. We keep saying it's our last
3: breakup. We keep saying, yeah. I'm not going back to her. I'm yeah. not going back to him. And we keep doing it. We're at a point where we need to figure out if we're going to have a future together or just officially part our ways.
2: All right. So that was Liz. I mean, she seems really just disgusted. (laughs) Her tone of her voice, just like, I don't know where I'm going with this. And, you know, Dr. Jenny, I want to get your perspective of Liz. You know, this is not really where a couple should be. It seems like back and forth, the breaking point, she reaches it, then she goes back to it. Really, it's dysfunction and dissatisfaction, but she can't seem to get away from herself. What are your thoughts?
0: My thoughts is when we think about relationships where they go back and forth, they're up and down, and some days you just can't love this person, the next day you want to get away from them, it becomes draining. And when they're in this relationship and there's more downs than there is up, we look at something that we call trauma bonding, like what's really happening in this relationship where they cannot have the 80 percent of the good stuff. And when I hear Liz's voice, I'm hearing that she is tired, tired of fighting, tired of trying to figure it out. When we look at toxic relationships, there's this thing that's called future faking, right? They're always thinking about, it's going to get better in the future, only when this happens or that happens. But when we get to this place where we heard in the clip where it's time to figure it out, they have to be at a place where they start taking responsibility for their part in the dynamic. And when a couple starts doing that, that can create some foundation that they can truly, truly build a solid relationship on. And that's what I'm hearing.
2: You know, you talked about future faking. I want to circle back to that, Dr. Janie. What is that? Because I would think like the future would mean hope. But what do you mean by future faking? So
0: future faking is a term when we look at toxic relationships where one person is constantly holding the carrot over the other person. Well, until you get your stuff together, Liz, then we'll get married, then we'll get the house, right? So you're constantly holding something out in the future and you'll hold it in front of the partner because you're saying, well, this is why we need to work on things. This is why you need to do something different because then we can go on and have our happily ever after. And usually it's a manipulation tactic to get the person in line. Because if you get them in line by holding that carrot in the future,
2: then you'll get what you want in the relationship. I guess we'll delve a little bit more into that. But Petey, I just need to know what you see when you think about Ed and you think about Liz and you see their relationship playing out the way it does, the back and forth, the constant promises and the breaking and the cheating. I mean, there's so many levels of betrayal there.
3: I would say yes, when they threw the ring into the bushes. I think this is one of the reasons this is called the last resort. They are tired. They're both tired. It isn't just Liz. He's tired, too. This has been going on for years now. And as I look at it, they were both ready to learn some different techniques to understand why it's still going on for years, because I take it to... Okay, so he may be doing this, you know, holding it over her head, but what is her part? Why does she keep playing along with it? I always go back to homeostasis. What is the feeling they know best from growing up? Is it replaying in this relationship? Is it serving a purpose to keep replaying it over and over in every situation? And once you can understand each person's part, and then I take it to the more spiritual level of understanding what was their soul contract? Why did they ask each other to behave this way before they came into this lifetime? That's when we get clarity. And with clarity comes awareness and healing.
2: I always find it interesting with the two of them because Liz got in touch with Ed after his dog died, right? So there was this, you know, huge gaping hole in his heart and Liz was that person that he went to and then Ed asks are you my forever person and then she says yes and boom they're back together they're moving in their engagement happens and you see this time after time in relationships where people take uh an instance And then they just keep moving like other stuff never happened. But I'm curious about, is there one person in a relationship that's causing most of the problems or sometimes is it equal? Or do you see those power struggles playing out differently, Dr. Jason?
1: Well, every couple is different. Every situation is different. You do find situations where one person is going to shoulder most of the blame for the issues in a relationship. But it's also, how does the other person react to those things? Do they inadvertently trigger more of the continued behavior? So, you know, one tool that I found effective in working with couples is to separate them, is to spend a little one-on-one time uh, with individuals.
2: Well, Ed did say their relationship is a marathon, and I don't know what mile marker they are on for sure. But I know that they're both committed to, you know, making things work, and at least at the last resort, They're doing the best that they can. So what can we expect uh, when people go into couples therapy? Petey?
3: I always find that when couples come in for couples therapy, the main determination if it's going to be successful or not is each other's motivation. So I always have them silently write their number from zero to 10 on what their level of motivation. And that's our first point of discussion. Because seriously, if one is a nine and the other is a three, I'm here because you asked me to, we're not going to go many places. So we can tell right off the bat and we can understand where that motivation comes from or doesn't come from. But when the motivation is close and they are more in alignment, you're going to have a lot of success.
2: I think it's really hard to look at the person that you love or the person that you just can't stand right now and have those deep conversations. So, Dr. Janie, can it just be a one-on-one tool that somebody can use effectively and then maybe come together to resolve issues as a couple?
0: There's a couple things that we need to consider, and I 100% agree with uh, PD. Their motivation to change is going to be one factor. Another factor is going to be their maturity factor, because if they're not mature, then they can use the therapy as a weapon towards each other. And that will depend on how much we can address with them when we see some of that going on. There's a lot of triangulation that can come into play. And if there's not enough maturity, then we have to move at a certain pace where we can't necessarily give feedback to the part, because we know that in couples therapy, they are good as their parts. And if there's one person that is extremely immature, then it's going to be harder for the other person to really gain some traction in that relationship. In our office, what we'll see is that couples are coming in as the last resort. They've tried everything else. So they're coming out the gates already
2: being on a thin ice. All right. Real fast. If you could magically solve one issue couples commonly face, what would it be and why? Petey. Communication.
3: <laughs> that is at the forefront of everything. If you don't have the tools to communicate, I don't care what the topic is, what they're trying to resolve. They just don't have the skills to help the other one hear what they need to say.
1: Dr. Jason, what do you think? Well, I got a second on communication, but I'm also going to say conflict resolution. I think couples miss an opportunity. Instead of looking at the conflict as something negative, they miss the chance to embrace it to lead to a better understanding of each other.
2: All right, Dr. Janie.
0: Self-awareness. You have to get to a place where you have enough self-awareness, where you understand that you need to be able to communicate better and to do all the things. So if we can increase our capacity to be self-aware of the junk that we bring to the table, I believe we can start with a good start.
2: God, you guys are good. You guys are really good. (laughs) I'm feeling 100% better already. (laughs) Coming up, we're gonna find out why 90 day couple Ed and Liz are still bickering. Therapist Roundtable, discussing some of the biggest relationship issues that couples will be facing. We're going to speak in general, everybody. I'm Sukanya Krishnan. You can call me Suki. And this is 90 Day, The Last Resort Sessions.
1: So at the tell all, um, I got busted for lying about texting Rose, who is my ex-girlfriend.
2: All right, Ed and Liz are just kind of like a jumping point for us to have these conversations as we continue this therapist roundtable. This is Sukanya Krishnan, you can call me Suki, and this is 90 Day, The Last Resort Sessions. And we've just gotten a little preview into, well, some of the dicier issues that are facing our couples this season. And now, Dr. Janie, Dr. Jason, and Petey are about to take a deeper dive into why, yes, one of the couples is still so uncertain about their future. Can we guess which one? Can we guess which couple? (laughs) Ed and Liz, everybody. Mm -hmm. Ed and Liz. Listen to this. Our relationship is just full of extremes, good
1: and bad. So at the tell-all, I got busted for lying about texting Rose, who is my ex-girlfriend. Ed reaching out
3: to his ex or being on a dating profile. Yeah, I'm scared Ed will cheat on
2: me. I just don't understand it at all. Dr. Janie, what is it that he gets out of calling Rose or what does somebody get out of going out of pocket in a relationship?
0: I know it's easy for us to look on the outside and exactly that question, at, but they get a lot of it, or they wouldn't be doing it if they weren't getting something from it, right? So when we're looking at someone like Ed, right, when things are not going the way that they think they should be going in their relationship, they will qualify, convince themselves, and they usually have people outside of that relationship will fill in the gap. So if I'm, whether it's calling Rose or calling someone else, in that moment, it's feeding their ego. Time, attention, it's also novelty, especially if they haven't spoken them for a while. But nevertheless, it's dysfunctional, it is wrong, and it's not going to necessarily keep the relationship intact. It's going to create more hurdles for them to heal. So there are many reasons why people um, cheat, but we can look, it's self-serving, it's selfish, and it's essentially feeding some part of their ego, and that's what's important for them to figure
2: out. Peter your thoughts on that and why why ed seems to go outside to fill a tank that is really kind of empty at times.
3: Well, so often we're taught growing up to get your self-esteem from the outside world, right? So you're trying to get it from outside influences, and you haven't learned how to develop your own inner self-esteem. Then we have trust issues. It takes a long time for trust to be rebuilt. It's, It's a process. It is a long process, and only time can help with the healing of that.
2: Dr. Jason, we talked about family also coming into the situation, and both of their families can't stand each other. They don't want them completely broken up. And that's got to be difficult, considering that outside forces are really kind of impacting the emotional security in a relationship. Dr. Jason, your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, Suki, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Um, when I first meet a couple, uh, we try to identify the strength areas and areas of growth. And one of the areas is family and friends. There's enough internal factors, but then you have these external factors, which are the family members, which are the friends. Ultimately, we want them to support the relationship. We want them to embrace the relationship. But what happens when there's conflict, you run to your corner and you start talking to your family members and sharing a view that's normally one-sided. Which normally now pits the family against other members, you know, within the relationship. So uh, I think it's really as important that couples think about that. Think about uh, maybe taking a time out or kind of restricting some of the information they relay to family members. Uh, but I think also what uh, Petey said about alignment and what uh, Janie said about uh, the immaturity, we we see those at play with this couple. You know, just to make sure that their goals and desires are in alignment with their actions, and that both parties, not just Ed, but they both uh, rise to a level of maturity that really helps the relationship thrive.
2: Yeah, maturity. And, and I don't know, sometimes, you know, he's just such a jokester. I don't know if they go hand in hand right now. He's kind of like a big little kid, you know, uh, he just has that sort of immaturity in him. And I feel like Liz is the person that's grounding him. You also mentioned something that was really interesting. I feel like, you know, people go to extremes when it comes to love. And I feel like people don't understand that it really starts with self-love. And Petey mentioned about learning to get validation from oneself first before reaching out for others. Because I can tell you honestly, I was raised on that philosophy of, yeah, what do other people think? Are you good enough? You need that validation to be able to fill your own tank, you know? And it took me a really long time to realize that, you know what? No, 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 no. It starts right here. It starts with me. And so what is it about? Is it a generational thing? Because I feel like we have more emotional, acuity now to teach our children differently
1: you know self-love is the best love you know what what was mentioning about validation is is what we find a lot of couples are looking to do a lot of people are in relationships because they want the other person to validate them and until you really start to love yourself from within and you start to validate yourself it leads to a more healthy relationship but how do you start doing that how do you start it, it's a process because one of the things that uh, we see or we look at is your attachment style. How do you attach or align yourself to relationships to people? And you know, once you identify that, you can then start to peel back the layers to see, okay, where did it originate from? A lot of our attachment styles were were formed by our parents, the way our parents connected with us. So sometimes you have to go as far back to understand why I have this avoidant or anxious attachment style. So that's one part of it, but. You know, self-love affirmations, uh, you know, people, I I don't think you could ever uh, discredit the importance of affirming things to yourself. A lot of individuals did not grow up with very positive, uh, reinforcing parents. Uh, Yes, they loved us in many ways. They provided a roof over the head, uh, you know, food on the plate. But the actual emotional necessities that we need, you know, the self-love, the loving yourself was never instilled in us. So it's a process that it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. When you make the conscious choice to start loving yourself and you start applying actions that reaffirm that, you will see a change not only in yourself, but you will develop healthier, more harmonious relationships.
2: It's like positive self-talk, isn't it? I always talked about the negative voice in my head, but it's really the positive voice. It's looking at yourself and saying, you know what, I am worth it. I am good. I am doing the best that I can right now. I think that's something that people need to learn because I think we grew up at a time, or a lot of people did, that you're right. The negative reinforcement was always the first voice that they heard as opposed to you're good you're worth it. I love you. Keep trying. I see you. It's all of these things that we never heard while we were growing up that we then try to attach to the person that we want to partner with. But then we realize that the partnership isn't the person that's fixing it. It's you That's fixing yourself. But anyway, we've got more clips from Ed and Liz. And this one's really interesting because you hear Liz once again talking about Ed and his inability to truly connect to her. I'm just so used to him finding a way to push me aside. When you hear... Ed is always finding a way to push me aside. Dr. Janie, what do you think we should take away from that statement? Well, going
0: back to that conversation, Suki, about self-love, that is not loving herself, right? So when someone is not treating you the way that you deserve, how are you going to show up for yourself? How are you going to have boundaries for yourself? How are you going to let them know that it's not okay? That's truly what self-love is, right? So we're hearing that. We're hearing a woman who's acknowledging that He keeps pushing me aside over and over and over again. And at some point, Liz has to look at, okay, well, why am I allowing that? If I see that he's treating me less than I deserve, what's happening inside of me that I am sending a message that that's
2: okay? And that's what I'm hearing. But Petey, if she's having all of these aha moments and these realizations, why is she not acting on it? Why is she not confronting Ed? And why do we ourselves not Act on our voice and our instincts that are telling us stop that right now in its track.
3: Good question, Suki. Why does it? There's so many reasons why. So you can have the aha, but until you actually do the work to find the source of it and then Begin to change and reframe that self-talk, that silent self-talk in your head that's like, oh, yeah, here we go again. Yep, this is just what I'm here for. So, you know, you can have consciously the level of aha, but subconsciously you're going to stay there until, you know, you get one of these good therapists here working with you.
2: (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Because, you know, Ed usually dominates the room, right? He's always seeking attention. And I got to imagine that couples therapy is where a moderator could really allow Liz to have her voice. Can cheating behavior be fixed, Dr. Janie? So where do we start? So, yes, absolutely. But Hallelujah. Say that again, Dr. Jason. That was my ministry. (laughs) But there's a few things
0: that we have to consider, right? So we're not looking at the one time. We're also looking at the addictive type behavior. And that person has to do their work. And then the other person who's potentially still in the relationship, there has to be her doing or him doing their work in the form of consequences, right? So there has to be this duality that's happening in order to keep the train moving. But ultimately, the person has to understand, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why am I keep going outside of my relationship? And what is it serving me? And then as Petey was saying, they have to do the below the veil of consciousness work. They have to understand, perhaps it's back in their history. Perhaps there's something they're repeating, but unless they end up doing the work and get that Ph.D. in their own history, then they're going to continue to do what they're continuously doing, especially if they have a partner who's enabling their behavior. So you can be with a cheater and they can heal and they can move on and really be a different reformed person after they do the work.
2: Got to do the work. And this is a lot of heavy lifting that needs to be done if you want to salvage a relationship. I think that's something that people need to realize, too. It gets dirty before it gets better, doesn't it? Petey, you're all saying yes. Is it true?
3: Yes, it is very true. It can get very dirty. But you have to remember that it's there serving a purpose. So how many couples will come in and they've already made the decision? I'm leaving. I'm just here because they want me to. He's a cheater. She's a cheater. I'm done with this. And I'm like, you know what? Let's see if we get to resolve. Let's get to a healed place. Let's do the work necessary. Then. Then make the decision if you want to leave because you know what if you leave before doing the work guess what your next relationship's going to look like guess what you're going to attract in guess what is going to be drawn to you because of the work that still hasn't been done so let's come to closure let's heal then you make the decision and people love that people love that right So when we think about the dynamics that's playing out
0: in all these couples, right? We're looking at intensity, we're looking at dysfunction, we're looking at lying, we're looking at betrayal. So all of the stuff that's coming out in these couples are stuff that real people are dealing with in their real lives that need real solutions so there's a reason why someone stays with the cheater there's a reason why someone allows abuse and it's real easy from the outside for people to judge as people can with when they are looking at our 90-day couples but when they look at their own lives they'll see that there's similar patterns there's similar patterns of their dysfunction
2: you had a lot of work cut out for you, BD, Dr. Janey, and Dr. Jason. Uh, you've been keeping an eye on all this, and I'm so glad that we've got you in the hot seat. Now, sitting down for these sessions of couples therapy, I think it's a great place to start, but to work to save the relationship extends way beyond the chair. Dr. Jason, I know you have some tips. Possibly being a minister is going to help get that more spiritual side alive between a couple, which can be really important in helping people bond back together.
1: You're absolutely right, Suki. Um, I really try to look at the whole person, and that's body, spirit, and soul. Uh, We have physical needs. We have our spiritual needs. And I think it's important that couples... You don't have to be religious to meet your spiritual needs. There's other ways you can feel or feed that need to um, to connect with your spiritual side. So I think that's something that couples can unite on and they can grow to, to have a better relationship. And then we talk about the soul, which is a housing for our emotions. So to be in true alignment, you know, I look at body, spirit, and soul. Um, communication for me is a glue. Uh, if you don't communicate, if you don't learn how to communicate, Everything else doesn't really matter at that point because communication is the, is the link that allows everything to connect. And two important skills that couples can learn is one, to be more assertive by using I statements and active listening, which is also you know, a mirroring exercise where you actually repeat what's stated to you. So couples got to put in the work. We can only do so much in an hour sitting in front of a couple. The work begins when they leave our office. And um, one of the big things that I think is really important is to establish boundaries couples really need to establish boundaries. There's physical boundaries. There's intellectual boundaries, emotional boundaries, sexual boundaries, material boundaries, and time boundaries. So everything that these wonderful therapists uh, mentioned, plus what I mentioned, definitely will help couples to move in a better direction.
2: Yeah, it is homework. You know, you talk about these relationships that's lasted for 60 something years. They've been working at it or maybe just ignoring the problem, but we're smarter now and we wanna find solutions and we wanna make our relationships really work where we're being filled and feel alive and feel wanted and loved. And you know what worked for our grandparents and our parents might not necessarily work for us anymore. So I, I love that we're really doing the homework in giving people resources to help build their own relationship as we work through these sessions with our 90-day couples. With that in mind, I'd love all of you guys to weigh in. Here's what one listener had to say, and then we'll do the therapist round table after we hear her letter.
0: Hi, this is Elizabeth, she, her, first. My husband and I have been happily married for just over a year now and together for over five years prior. As we led up to our wedding and married life, my in-laws have become very invasive and controlling in our lives. We have attempted to set appropriate boundaries with them. However, they continuously disrespect those expectations. This is causing a strain on my husband's relationship with them my relationship with them, and has brought up a lot of childhood trauma for my husband. How do I work towards keeping boundaries up with my in-laws and my frustrations at bay while supporting my husband as he works through this with his parents in his own time? Thank you.
2: All right, I'd like to thank Elizabeth for her wonderful letter and really honest letter. Uh, I think keeping the peace in relationships, especially when family dynamics start playing out, is really difficult for a partner. So, Dr. Janney, let's start off with you. What do you suggest they start working through and what should they tackle first?
0: Well, the very first thing that couples in their situations should do is be on the same page with each other, because especially when it's her husband's family, how he sees them is going to be very different because of his history, how she sees them is going to be new it's from an outside. So her perspective is going to be different different than his. So being on the same page, her sensitivity, understanding that it's easier said than done when that is your parents. So first thing they need to do is be on the same page. Parents are breaking the boundaries by dot, 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 dot. So they need to understand what that looks like. And then they can move on to other steps. Okay, what are we going to do every time your mom comes over a house and she doesn't call? Right. So then you get into some of the practical boundary buildings. But ultimately, he's going to have to be the linebacker for his His wife, because they will forgive him. They'll forever hold it against his wife. And that's why it's going to be important for them to be on the same page. And if he has this childhood trauma, he's going to need to be able to deal with that so he can truly be a linebacker for his
2: family. Oh, Dr. Janie and Dr. Jason and Petey, is that where the whole in law conflict kind of rears its ugly head? Dr. Jason, your thoughts on that?
1: <laughs> I think it's important that you nip it in the bud. Uh, once you start seeing the disrespect coming from family members, address it and let them know you're not tolerated, establish boundaries. And if you do have a venting session where you go to uh, an in-law, you go to a family member and you vent, it's, it's understandable, but make sure you also try to repair that. You, you fix that and correct that so it doesn't lead to more complications within a relationship.
2: I got to imagine that could be a huge fracture. Like, you know, you say something about a mother-in-law or father-in-law and it doesn't land very well. So what are some like ways you can have a, a real constructive conversation where it lands in the right way, where it won't fracture future relationships or future family dinners or vacations, et cetera, et cetera? Petey, can you answer that?
3: Yes. So I think it's very important that you establish in the beginning are there any mixed messages coming from the husband? Because it is his parents. So while he may be aligning with his wife on a subconscious basis, there may be many mixed messages there where his behaviors and attitudes are giving mixed messages. And that means to the parents as well. So maybe it's a little individual work with him. the therapist will allow that clarity to come through because if they truly are on the same page and there are no mixed messages, then the continual behavior patterns that they decide to set with their boundaries, as Janie said, will be effective.
2: Yeah, because he's got the childhood trauma that he's dealing with, and he's got mom and dad, and he's got the woman that he loves. So, yes. uh, Elizabeth, I hope we answered your question. It's all about really boundaries and having your partner align with those boundaries. And like Dr. Janie said, let him do the dirty work. You want to get that present under that Christmas tree. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> it felt like I learned so much, and I hope our listeners did, too. I want to thank our 90-Day Therapist, Dr. Janie Lacey, Dr. Jason Pendergrast, and Peter Silver vera next time pd we'll be back to hear what kalani and asuelu have been up to and everyone's favorite bad idea the hall pass there's a reason why pass is at the end and ass is after p (laughs) just saying (laughs) the 90-day last resort sessions is produced by tlc and sony music entertainment TLC and WBD executive producers are Michael DeSalvo, Cameron Curtis, and Margaret Kelly. The executive producers are Sarita Wesley and Jasmine Henley-Brown. Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our producer for this episode is Samara Lenga. And our associate producer is Jade Abdul-Malik. Engineering is done by Sam Baer, and our production manager is Tamika Balance-Kalazny. I'm Sukanya Krishnan, you can call me Suki, and I want to thank you all for listening to 90 Day, The Last Resort Sessions.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50